6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Dr. Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Dr. Missler begins his teaching on the book of 1 Kings, chapters 15 and 16. We have eight sessions covering the book of 1 Kings. We're in session six. So the next two sessions will complete the 1 Kings. We'll go right from 1 Kings into 2 Kings for those of you that are studying ahead. For those, we're going to be in chapters 15 and 16, the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles 11 to 28, for those of you that are doubling it up there. But 1 Kings, uh, chapters 15 and 16. Now you may recall, we're working our way through just the, the top group of kings. Uh, there's many more to go. There's 20 altogether in both cases. The northern kingdom goes from bad to worse. But the southern kingdom will have a few winners, and we'll take a look at that. But we had... Uh, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, in chapter 14. Now what we're going to look at now is uh, two of the main kings in Judah, Abijam and Asa, and uh, Nadab and Basha in the north in chapter 15. So let's go. Jump, let's just jump right in. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. The word order is not the way we would express it, but obviously Abijam is, is the, is the uh, uh, son of, of the former king. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. Now, um, it's probable, by, by the way, that Tamar, the daughter of Absalom, had been married to Uriel, uh, and Makkah was their daughter, for just a little background. But that's... Uh, and he walked in all the sins of his father. Boy, there that phrase is going to be uh, so repetitive. They get worse and worse. He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father. And when he says father there, it's obviously grandfather. But in any case, nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him, and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of the life. Now, there is a, a more fuller account of Bijam, by the way, in, in Second Chronicles 13. But um, see, God's patience with Abijah was because of his promises to David, more so than... Uh, Abijah's own character is the point that's being brought through here. So the wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continued throughout Abijah's lifetime. And now the acts of Abijah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. We keep running that phrase, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles? Don't assume that those are the book of Chronicles, that we, the book that we call the Chronicles. Uh, they're an abridgment, I'm sure. They, what they're probably really referring to, scholars believe, are archives in the temple that have been lost. Anyway, yeah. and there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his stead. And the twentieth year of Jeroboam, the king of Israel, 
reigned Asa over Judah. In forty in forty and one years reigned he in Jerusalem. Notice all these southern kings reigned in Jerusalem. They don't move around and so forth because that's where God put his name. And his mother's name was Maka, the daughter of Abishon. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as, da- as did David's father. That phrase is a refreshing change. We'll only see it a few times. But Asa did, doesn't mean he did everything right. He's got some problems too, but he did, in general, he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David did his father. He took away the Sodomites out of the land, removed all the idols that his fathers had made. And also, get this, he even, his, his reforms even nail his mother here. And also, Maka, his mother, even her, he removed from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove. And Asa destroyed her idol and burnt it by the brook Credron. But the high places, but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord in all his days. In other words, he didn't do it thoroughly. There's still some loose ends, but his heart was right with the Lord all his days. This is, this is, that's, that's, that's good news. And, uh, see, eight of the nineteen kings in the southern kingdom, in Judah, were evaluated by God as being good. Eight of the nineteen. Twenty out of twenty were bad news on the, uh, uh, in the northern kingdom. But eight out of the nineteen were good guys, uh, in, in God's own, in four of those kings were led Israel in, uh, excuse me, led Judah in, uh, religious reforms to restore the nation into Mosaic Judaism after the Torah and so forth. Now, Asa is the first of the good guys, and he's the first reformer. And he became king just before Jeroboam's reign in uh, Israel ended. Just before, uh, so they overlap a little bit uh, with Jeroboam in the north and Asa in the south. Now, Mecca, by the way, was his grandmother, not mother. You understand that uh, uh, father, son, mother, father, mother, and, and sons and daughters, in the Hebrew, they don't have the term grand, in other words, a son can be a grandson or great-grandson. It just means descendant, really. We, we use the term son as an immediate following, but that's not the way that... So understand when the, tra- the, the translators may not pick up on that. And he brought in the things which his father had dedicated and the things which himself had dedicated into the house of the Lord, silver and gold and vessels. And there was war between Asa and Basha, the king of Israel, all their days. And Basha, the king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might not suffer any to go out or come in to Asa, the king of Judah. Now, obviously, we're getting introduced to another guy here. Uh, this this uh, Basha is uh, uh, in the north. And uh, Asa enjoyed about ten years of peace after Jeroboam's defeat by Abijah. But uh, this was wisely and energetically spent in making religious reforms, as we've seen there. But now Basha, the king of Israel, he's uh, uh, one of the, the northern guys. He built Ramah in, in the uh, 15th year of his reign, it turns out. And he uh, the, uh, uh, built a strong fortress at Ramah, which was near Gibeah. It's only about four miles north of Jerusalem, so it's a fort representing the southern part of the northern kingdom. And he's afraid that lest his subjects leave his kingdom and go to worship to the fathers, he's going to build sort of an iron curtain kind of arrangement here. That's what he's going to try to do. But Asa took the silver and gold that were left in the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasure of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And the king Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of uh, Tabrimon, the son of Hesion, the king of Syria that dwelt at Damascus. So Asa is going to take some riches up to Damascus to bribe this king to neutralize his northern enemy here. 
He says, there's a league between me and thee, and between the, my, my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent unto thee a present of silver and gold. Come and break thy league with Basha, the king of Israel, that he may depart from me. So Ben-Hadad hearkened unto the king Asa, and sent the captains of the host which he had against the cities of Israel, that is the northern king, and smote Eon and Dan and uh, another unpronounceable one, uh, Abel Beth Makkah, I guess, and all Kinneroth and all the land, not Kinneroth. That's the, that's the old name for the Sea of Galilee, what we know as the Sea of Galilee. But anyway, and uh, all the land of Naphtali, so up the north. So the, so he gains, in effect, an ally in Damascus. He purchased uh, some friendship here. It came to pass, when Basha heard thereof, he left off building of Ramah and dwelt in Tirzah. So he goes back up north to this uh, current capital. And, uh, and then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. They took away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof, wherewith Basha had built it. And King Asa built with them Geba of Benjamin and Mitzpah. So he, he bribes the Syrians to, to neutralize Basha. So Basha backs off his big, big construction project to make this big fort at Ramah. Asa takes all the materials and uses them for his fortifications. And all the rest of the acts of Asa and all his might and all that he did and all the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And nevertheless, in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. And Asa slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his stead. So, it moves on. And, uh, uh, okay. Now, we learn from Second Chronicles, by the way, that the prophet Hanani had rebuked Asa for uh, this, this very clever strategy with the Syrians, it would seem, but for getting help from uh, the Syrians, or actually Aram, as it was known in those days, uh, the prophet Hanai rebukes Asa. That's not here, that's in the Chronicles, points that. And Asa resented the rebuke and threw the prophet in prison in Second Chronicles 16. So, uh, see, it, it may be that uh, Asa's successes against Egypt uh, had, and Israel had made him a little too proud, a little too cocky. Got too sure of himself, so he was not perfect, but he was—he was—he is deemed by the by the text as one of the good guys. And so, uh, okay, we now come to the next guy. And Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa, the king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. No surprise. And Basha, the son of Ahijah, the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Basha smote him and. This is a, in other words, we're doing a flashback here to the, in the, as we look at the north. At Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines, and Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Even in the third year of Asa the king of Judah did Basha slay him and reigned in his stead. And when it came to pass when he reigned that he smote all the house of Jeroboam, he left not to Jeroboam any that breathed until he had destroyed him, according unto the saying of the Lord, which he spake by a servant Ahijah the Shalonite. Because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned, and and which he made Israel to sin by his provocation wherewith he provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. And we've had a glimpse of that in the previous rundown here. In the third year, of Asa, king of Judah, began Basha, the king of Ahijah, to reign over all Israel in Terzah, 20 and 4 years. See, the capital was Shechem originally, it's Terzah, we're not through. It's going to be. We're going to have a very powerful king make Samaria the primary capital. He's going to do a big job of that. But at the moment, Terza, it's a very, very lovely place. I think I've got some background on that that might be useful to to give you a 
uh, perspective of this. Um, you know, I'll, I'll come to it when I come to it. Um, it did evil inside of the Lord, he, and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel sin. So get, there's the, each king gets worse and worse. So we're now in First Kings 16, and uh, we saw Abijam and Asa in Judah, and Nadab and Basha in the northern kingdom in the previous chapter. And uh, now we're going to take a look at three more kings in the north, Elah, Zimri, and Omri. And uh, uh, it's, it's a pretty bloody story. Anyway, then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha. Now notice, by the way, that Jay, this is not king, don't confuse this, uh, this uh, prophet Jehu with the king Jehu. It's a, they're different guys. And he's the son of a prophet. Hanani was the guy that had rebuked Asa. Uh, against Bash. Anyway, uh, saying that, that where the Lord came to Jehu, for as much as I exalted thee out of the dust and made thee prince over my people Israel, and thou hast walked in the way of Jeroboam and has made my people Israel to sin, to, broke me, to provoke me to anger with their sins, behold, I will take away the, pros, the posterity of Basha and the posterity of his house, and will make thy house like the house of Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Him that dieth of Basha in the city shall the dogs eat, and him that dieth in his fields shall the fowls of the air eat. Now the rest of the acts of Basha and what he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Basha slept with his fathers and was buried in Terzah, and Elah, his son, reigned in his stead. Bad news. Bad news. These are almost the same words that were used to describe uh, the uh, uh, Basha's future judgment that would be given to him by the prophet Ahijah. And, uh, excuse me, the words described to Basha are almost the same words that uh, uh, were given by Ahijah to the prophet uh, Jeroboam, if you recall. And they're going to be the same that Elijah is going to give to Ahab later on in chapter 21, uh, in one of her later sessions. And uh, what's amazing is that there's no learning taking place. Learning is defined as the modification of behavior, and these kings don't learn by the kings that precede them. They're completely blind to spiritual matters. So Basha commits the same sins uh, as his father did. So the uh, level of apostasy has really grown very deep. That's the net, net of all this. And uh, so uh, Elah, this guy's, the successor here, is going to be just a duplicate of his father. By, on, the, on the basis of verse 7, by the way, we can infer that... Uh, uh, Jehu continued through Ella's reign also. Scripture says, Blessed is the king whose prophet is his counselor, but cursed is he who heeds not his prophet. And boy, that, this, sure, this chronicle sure um, demonstrates that. And uh, Okay, let's talk about Elah's evil reign here. The 20th and 6th year of Asa, the king of Judah, in the south, began Elah, the son of Basha, to reign over Israel, that's in the, in the north, in Terza, two years. Short reign, by the way. You think that's short, look what Zimri's going to do. His servant Zimri, captain of half his chariots, conspired against him, as he was in Terza, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, the steward of his house in Terza. And Zimri went in and smote him and killed him in the twenty and seventh year of Asa, the king of Judah, and, and he reigned in his stead. So Zimri just took over. He murdered him while he was in a drunken stupor. Kind of a, a ignominious uh, end. He was murdered while being drunk. Elah and Belshazzar of Babylon have that in common, I guess, in some respects. But uh, it came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he sat on the throne, that he slew all the house of Basha 
And he left him not one that pisseth against the wall, neither of his kinsfolks nor of his friends. Thus did Zimri destroy all the house of Basha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake against Jehu the prophet. So this rough guy, he's a military commander, murders the king, takes over, slaughters all the other uh, pretenders to the throne. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You know how long his reign was? One week. <laughs> Seven days. Shortest of any Israelite king. Um, and uh, so... Uh, so uh, uh, for all the sins of Basha and the sins of Elah, his son, by which they sinned and by which they made Israel sin and provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Now the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of Israel. In the 20th, 20th and 7th year of Asa, the king of Judah, did Zimri reign seven days in Terzah. And the people were encamped against Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. And the people that were encamped heard say, Zimri, Zimri had conspired and hath slain the king. Wherefore all Israel made Omri, the captain of the host, king over Israel, that day in the camp. Omri's a popular guy. Zimri's a pretender. When they heard he just took over, they, they expressed their own popular view on Omri. And we're going to learn about it. He's quite a guy. Omri went up from Gibbethon and all Israel with him, and they besieged Terzah. And it came to pass, <laughs> when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the palace of the king's house and burnt the king's house over him with fire and died. In other words, he... Burned the whole place down. Wouldn't let them have any of it. For his sins, this is the first suicide bomber, I guess. Huh? For his sins, which he sinned in doing evil in the sight of the Lord and walking in the way of Jeroboam, in his sins did he make Israel to sin. Um, see, Zimri was not an acceptable candidate, and so the people uh, turned to Omri, and so that's pretty straightforward. And, and they appeared at the city walls almost immediately, but they've been marching for four or five days. That's that's the length of his his control, and so he did as much damage as he could, killed himself. And his death resulted ultimately from his own sins, of course. And uh, so now all the acts of Zimri and his treason that he wrought, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Then were the people of Israel divided into two parts. Half the people followed Tibni, the son of Ginnath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. So here we have the nation split already into, but the northern kingdom is under threat of being uh, split into two, if you will. Omri is going to eventually overpower uh, Overpower Timni. Um, his army support proves decisive, and uh, Timni will die, probably executed by his oppressors. All the people that followed Omri prevailed against the people that followed Timni, the son of Gidnath. So Timni died, and Omri reigned. In the 31st year of Asa, the king of Judah, began Omri to reign over uh, Israel 12 years. Six years he reigned in Terza. So there's a whole series of assassinations. This is all about 80, 886 B.C., and led, of course, to the crowning of Omri, who was the ranking army officer, and uh, he's capable, and he's aggressive, and he quickly stabilized the nation. He's the guy that built and fortified Samaria as his capital. Remember, it was Shechem and Terza, which is a beautiful place, by the way, but then to, to uh, uh, Samaria. And uh, it so impressed the Assyrians, by the way, that a hundred years later, Israel was known by them as the land of Omri. So he really put, he put his uh, imprint on the place. The Bible doesn't tell us much about his reign, but archaeology does. Um, they discovered a thing called the Moabite Stone in 1898. And it has the reports how Omri conquered the Moab and forced to pay tribute to Israel. And also his marriage, uh, the, the marriage of his son, Ahab, to the Phoenician princess Jezebel will be a topic of our subsequent chapters that's a major, major part of the Bible. It's even alluded to as an idiom in the book of Revelation. We'll talk about that when we get there. 
But this, the fact that his son marries a Phoenician princess implies that Omri apparently had developed good relationships with Phoenicia, valuable trading ally. And uh, it's very likely that much of the wealth of Samaria, and the, the Samaria is the capital, but it becomes idiomatic for the whole the northern kingdom. So the, uh, the archaeological expeditions indicates that a lot of this had its roots in diplomacy and statehood, uh, uh, statecraft of uh, Omri. But the scripture doesn't focus on the material things or the political affairs. It focuses on the religious and moral dimensions of life. And so uh, in the 31st year, uh, Omri began to reign over Israel and so forth. Um, he had a contested reign for four years with Tibni, but then the date this, in this verse is entered on the sole and peaceful reign of eight years, if, if you will. In the first six years of his reign, he was at Tirzah, but it's the, then he moves to the new capital, Samaria. And that's what this is going to describe. He bought, he bought the hill Samaria from Shemer of two, for two talents of silver. Don't knock that. That's probably about four or five thousand dollars in our money. Um, and built uh, on the hill and called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill, Samaria. Samaria is a variant spelling of Shemari, of the owner in effect. But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse, oh boy, did worse than all that were before him. They keep raising the, the mark here, don't they? Now this, uh, 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 Samaria is about seven miles west of Terza. The palace of Terza is in ruins because obviously it was burned down. Uh, and uh, so he, he selected this as the site of his royal re- uh, residence. Both for pleasure and advantage. It's a, there's a center of an amphitheater of mountains, about seven miles from Shechem. It rises an oblong hill with steep yet accessible sides, a long flat top extending east and west, raising about 500 to 600 feet above the valley. The Assyrian uh, scripture calls it Beth Qumri, or the house of Omri, if you will. Now, he probably initially just built it as a palatial residence, but it became the capital of, uh, instead of Shechem. It's sort of like Versailles instead of Paris or Windsor instead of London kind of thing. It becomes the primary uh, capital. So it's probably an admirable choice in many respects, um, strong, beautiful, and so forth. Um, archaeologists have unearthed evidence that Samaria was built by very skillful craftsmen, and it, it dominated the north-south uh, trade routes. And also is apparently almost impregnable as a stronghold against alien attacks because of this elevated position. And so, uh, so Omri is probably the strongest ruler of the northern kingdom up to this time. Well, let's move on. Now, verse, tw- uh, okay, verse 26. And he walked in the way, in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. You know, it's amazing how their material wealth and prosperity and their military successes blind them to the predicament spiritually. And we gotta think very hard about that in terms of our own country. We're prosperous, we're strong, we're powerful, but where are we spiritually? That's a scary issue to really come to terms with. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, did, which he did, and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the king of Israel? And Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab, his son, reigned in his stead. Now Ahab and his exploits are going to occupy us for a number of chapters forthcoming. In the thirty and eighth year of Asa, the king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Each one of these guys sets a new record. How how angry can you get God? I don't know. Let let me show you. You It came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians, and he went and served 
and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. This is uh, going to be a very, very major element in the history of Israel. Worse than all before. As a military and political leader, he gets pretty good marks. He was effective in defeating Israel's Syrian enemies. He joined in a coalition army that halted the invasion of the great Assyrian force under Shalmaneser III. And he maintained the borders of his own land. The Assyrian records tell us that Ahab was able to contribute 2,000 chariots, those are like tanks in the ancient warfare, to a coalition army as well as some 10,000 foot soldiers. Economically, they also prospered. The Phoenician alliance, because he married uh, uh, Jezebel and so forth, uh, meant that the sea trade routes were open to landlocked Israel. And the, the great ivory house that uh, Ahab built for himself, Second, First Kings 22, we'll talk about that, testifies to his posterity. But at the same time, this alliance with the Phoenicians and marrying the, uh, Jezebel brings... She, was a, she wasn't just a Baal worshiper. She was committed to get everybody to worship Baal. And she really is extremely aggressive, extremely powerful in her own right. So this is... Uh, she's not satisfied with coexistence. She wants, to, she wants Baal worship to replace any worship of, of uh, Jehovah or Yahweh or Jehovah or however you want to pronounce it. And she not only slaughtered the uh, Hebrew prophets, that'll be occurring in chapter 18, she also imported hundreds of prophets of Baal to establish worship centers for this pagan deity. And so it's, a, it's going to be... It is such a major event that Jesus himself makes reference to it in the letter to Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2. And you won't understand that letter unless you really understand what's going to transpire later with Jezebel and uh, Nahab and Naboth's vineyard and all that business, which we'll get to, of course. But uh, So Jezebel and King Ahab go about imposing this entire system on Israel and aggressively seek to blot out any worship of Jehovah. So you can, you can tell what's coming here, huh? You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Dr. Chuck Nussler, teaching through the book of 1 Kings. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.